All right, gang, here we are once again um, with the Exhale Heart and Chart Investing Podcast, sponsored by Tricord Investment Advisors. I'm Larry McDonald, your host, and we are continuing my first of the year sort of um, series on investing myths. now, I, I want to kind of clarify, you know, because I, I have gotten a couple of comments about some of the stuff that I've been talking about. Um, here's the thing. I think it's a myth because it's, it's held out. These, these, you know, truths, if you will, are being held out as the way and the only way and, um, you know, in, in that same vein, the best way. And so what I'm saying is that's a myth. Now, I'm not saying that these approaches that I've been talking about, especially the buy and hold and, you know, the asset allocation models, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say they don't work. That, that's not fair. That's, that's not right. All right. And I, I don't want to come across that way. Um, what, what I am trying to do in this series is to help everyone see and realize that their number one is an alternative way of looking at all of this. And in my opinion, it's a better way. So, you know, I'll I'll say right up front this week and this this podcast, which is the myth of diversifying an asset allocation, I'm going to admit right up front that if you want to ascribe to a buy and hold, set it and forget it way of investing, then this is going to be a better way to do it for you. So I'm going to acknowledge right up front that the way that they that they've been teaching since the 50s about, you know, the pie chart and diversifying and different asset classes that we're going to talk about today, you need to do this if you're if you are in the set it and forget it mode. All right. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. All right. That, you know, if you don't really know if you're not going to actively manage, if you're not going to pay attention to what's going on, you know, that's more advantageous than not. And uh, all, all of the stuff I've been talking about, then you'd better diversify. You'd better be in multiple places because, you know, you're going to get kicked in the teeth if you choose wrong. And you're much, much too concentrated in what you're doing. So with all of that, I'm going to admit it. But here's, here's the thing that I'm going to ask. And I found this, this meme um, yesterday that I thought was just perfect for this podcast. And here's what it says. It said, I woke up this morning and realized I don't have what it takes to sit back and be average. I love that. I thought it spoke right to the heart of the matter because just understand that if you will ascribe to the asset allocation diversification, you know, perspective, you will end up virtually, I mean, I, you know, again, there's exceptions to everything. Okay, so don't, you know, don't hold me to this literally, but you're going to settle for average. What's the average? If that's acceptable to you and that's what you're looking for and you're okay with that, have at it, okay? Click, t- t- turn me off right now. Click. It's fine, okay? All I want to do is resonate with the people that are going, oh, I, 
I don't think I really realized that there was a a different way to to look at this. And gee, according to Larry, it's a better way. Wow, let me take a look at that, a harder look at that. And I'm talking about for your portfolios uh, inside your 401k your, or your qualified plan at work. This you know you, you can begin to think this way even if you're in those boxes. There are ways to think outside of those boxes. And then certainly if you have control over your money, if you have a choice about where you're going to put it and what you're going to do with it, I mean, certainly this makes total sense for you to at least ponder, to at least consider, uh, and then see where you end up. Right, so I'm going to shake the tree a little bit today. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to kind of go after some of the real core philosophies when it comes to how you invest and structure your portfolio as far as the as far as the industry goes, as far as the talking heads go, as far as what you will hear in the norm. All right, that what everybody wants you and thinks you should do. Right now, understand that when it comes to qualified plans, let's back up a little bit. The reason that it is structured that way is because employers are scared to death to give you choice outside of a box because now there's fiduciary responsibility that they have and they don't want you going off the reservation. You know, they want you in their box so that they can cover their, you know, what. All right, I, I'm just saying it's not. It, it, it's self-serving to a certain extent, and, and I don't want to blame employers. I want to say that the system has set itself up as such, all right? So just, again, there's reasons why things are the way they are, for good or for bad, right? So, I, you know, I, I don't want to try to create this impression that, you know, there's all these just, you know, evil people out there that uh, just are trying to, you know, take your money or, you know, raise the fees and put you in a system that, you know, isn't going to work and isn't in your best interest. That's not their motivation, but you have to come back and say, what does motivate them? And I'm just going to say right up front that what the core motivation in almost all of that is not necessarily our best interest. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, and again, I know employers want to take care of their employees. Okay. I, 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 I get that. And, and I, and I applaud that. Uh, but again, they don't know what they don't know either. All right. So, so that's how we're going to kind of launch into this podcast that we're going to sort of, uh, if you will, address this whole idea of diversification and asset allocation. Right. So what I'm going to do I'm going to go to uh, a chart, first of all, it was put out um, by MFS, and it was over the last 20 years. It's arbitrary, okay, but at least it's, a, 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 you know, it's, it's not trying to manipulate. And, and, and that's another point that I really want to make up front here, too, that you do understand, and I hope everybody's, you know, taken off the rose-colored glasses, that whether it's me, whether it's Fidelity, whether it's, you know, Jim Cramer, whether it's a Talking Heads on TV, whether it's, it doesn't matter Data is data, and it virtually can be manipulated virtually in almost any way that you want in order to, to get the outcome that you want to try to get. In other words, to prove your point, you, you know, you, it's easy to be selective about how you interpret and how, what data you choose, all right? So I'm going to admit that right up front because I'm going to talk some data today. 
and uh, you can get data to show you just about anything, right? And so where does the rubber meet the road with your life and with your money and with, and with your investments? You know, that's the thing you got to kind of glean through it all and sort through it all. All right. So that there's a little asterisk and a qualifier, but MFS put out this chart. I've seen a ton of these. You might've seen them as well. And basically it took uh, 10 asset classes. And what I mean by an asset class is, uh, let's just use, uh, let me just give you a few of them. Commodities, large cap growth stocks, large cap value stocks, global bonds, cash. These are all you know, asset classes. All right. So MFS uh, is listing in this chart, 10 different asset classes. And what they did is they started in 1996 and they went through last uh, 2015 because the data, they didn't compile the data for last year, 2016 yet. Um, and what they did is they ranked the 10 asset classes by the calendar year annual return on that asset class. All right, you with me? So every year they said, which one had the best return? Which one had the next best return? All the way down the line, all right? So fairly simple. And, and their point is, if you look at this chart, there is virtually no asset class that was number one every single year. Nor was it their same asset class number two, three, four, all the way on down the line, right? And what they're showing is that it's changing. That one year, small mid-cap stocks might do the best. The next year, it might be global bonds. It, you know, it, it, and so, consequently, because you never know which one is going to be best in the next and the next, and which one's going to be worse, what they are suggesting is diversification. And, and they've given a model here that just says, let's just put one-tenth into each uh, or one, let's see, one, two, one ninth into each one. The tenth one was the diversified portfolio that they just made up. All right. So you have nine asset classes, and then they have a diversified portfolio number that they have in this chart that uh, that is just a one um, ninth uh, allocation to each one. No weighting, just equally weighted. And they say, okay. And so as I'm reading their, their chart, let me just read the top of this chart. So let's just talk about this. It says 20 years of the best and worst, a case for diversification. So again, they're making the case that you need to be diversified. Here's what they say. Everyone wants to be in the best performing asset class every year. The thing is, few people are savvy enough to consistently choose the best. Well, not just few people, no people. All right. So so nobody is is able to pick the best one every year. It just can't happen. All right. So they say that's why diversification is key. Okay. So here's what the deal is. They average the asset classes over those 20 years and here's what they came up with. REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts averaged a 10.32% return over that. So if you'd have just invested, you had all your money in REITs since 1996, you would have averaged a 10.32% return over that period of time. Now that's just a number. It's, it's a truth number. I'm not saying it's not a wrong, it's a wrong number. All right. Um, depends on what kind of REITs. I mean, this is, these are large asset classes, of course. So 
the, the real key becomes, could you have put up with the volatility along the way? That would have been, of course, the key. Because, let's see, there was REITs one year, the worst year REITs ever had. It was 2007, they were down 17.83. Well, still nowhere near, uh, let's see if we can find a REIT class. Oh, yeah, 2008, 37.34, which was right in there with all the rest of the stock market. So, again, the real key would have been is if you had out all your money in the REITs, could you have weathered that storm? All right, it's all well and good and theoretical to say, oh, yeah, I just set it and forget it, and 10.32% return over time. I'm not worried. I'm good. You know emotionally it doesn't work that way either. But anyway, I digress a bit. So this is the chart. 10.32 on the REITs, 9.53 on the small mid cap, 8.52 on large cap. And as you see, we're going on down the line. And the diversified portfolio, if we did just each one, each one equally, 7.23, right? Now, they're really more making the case for diversification than they are actual returns because here's the real kicker about, about that. When you allocate one-ninth of your portfolio to cash, just understand, especially in the current environment, you're not making any money on your money. 2015, cash, 0.03%. 2014.03. 2013.05. I mean, ever since virtually 2010, you haven't making any money on your cash. None. Zero. So, you know, one-ninth of your total portfolio, um, you know, which basically is 11% of your money, isn't doing anything for you. Zero. And the only reason that it can come out to 2.44 the way it averages out over the last 20 years is because you have to go way back into 1996, 7, 98, 99, 2000, where you were getting over 5% on your cash. Now, we don't have that environment anymore. That's just not the way it is. And I have no idea how long it's going to be until it does but again, to make the case that you need to be diversified and part of that needs to be held in cash like that to that extent of your portfolio is just going to shoot you in the foot. I mean, it, it, it does not make sense because nobody's paying attention what the current market environment is. It's easy to average the last 20 years. But again, that's the average. I don't have what it takes to be average, right? As my meme says. So the point is, let, let's now let's go down and say, well, what difference does that make? Now, my diversified portfolio, let's just say for the last 20 years, I'd have allocated into the nine different asset classes equally, and I'd have come up with a 7.23 return. Okay. Now, understand that one thing doing this would have done for you, it would have, it would have, helped you not bounce around as much, not have the difference, the, 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 you know, the, um, the range of your returns be as great as they would be as the, just say you would invest it in the REITs. So again, it's an emotional thing as well, quite frankly, all right, um, that you wouldn't have had to deal with quite the volatility uh, that you would have if you'd have just been in something, you know, high-flying and singular, all right, so so now we come and take a look. Well, so who cares? So what difference does it make? All right, 
So let's just look at small making. Let's say you start out with $100,000 in 1996. And I'm going to say I had an average 9.53%. That's what the small mid-cap asset category averaged. And, and over the 20 years, by the end of 2015, now again, these, this data only runs through 15, but you know it, it, it's, it's proving the point. It's making the point. You start out with 100, and you would have 600 and a little north of $617,000, all right? Versus if you'd have done the diversified thing, be average, because you just don't know what's going to happen, you would have had 40, 400, almost $402,000, now, 402 versus 617, that's a 53% difference. You'd had half again as much money if you'd have just said, well, I'm going to just be in the small mid-cap arena. I'll, I'll buy an ETF that does small mid-cap, and I'm just going to set it and forget it. Now, again, there's lots of other things that come with that that you would have had to be able, again, to emotionally weather that storm and stay the course and all this stuff, but the point is it doesn't need to be that complicated, okay? Half again amount of return? Well, gee, Larry, yeah, but I really can't, you know, I can't really stomach the, vol oh, okay, can't stomach the volatility, and you probably wouldn't have stayed the course. That's okay. Just understand there's a trade-off if you want to choose that route. So now you go to a large cap value allocation, just a large cap value. These are Big cap stocks, these aren't little high flyers. These, these, you know, you would have had even less of a volatility. You would have even had less volatility than you would have in the S&P 500, right? And you would have had an 8.52% return, 8.52 versus 7.23. Everybody with me, all right? Doesn't seem like a whole lot, does it? What, 1.3%? Uh, ah, and yet I would have had over $513,000 from my $100,000 initial investment. Again, that's a 27% increase. Same amount of money, same 100,000, probably a little bit greater volatility than you would have in the diversified portfolio, but not much. And you don't have this big complicated pie charted thing or anything like that. Set it and forget it. Large cap value. Okay, I'm good. I can afford to hold. I'm, I'm okay with holding stocks like that. So would you rather have 513 or 403 per every 100,000 you invested, by the way? So if you started your retirement, you know, at, 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 or, or your, your allocation at something greater or, or your, your portfolio at something greater, it would just be greater all along the way. That was just taking 100,000 in 1996 and leaving it, set it and forgetting it. How about if you started with 100,000 in 96 and you added 10 every year? I mean, the numbers get exponential. You hear what I'm trying to say here, right? So, again, the point is this, that diversification by asset class is all well and good. But here's my whole point. Why not set up a system, subscribe to a system, set up to a system that says, well, you know what? I may not be able to just totally pick the best every year. But what I am going to do is one of two things. I'm going to set up a system that's, that looks at the market. And if internationally, that's not the place to be right now, given the market conditions, I'm just not going to be there. 
Now, again, the key is to determine that. I understand that, right? Nobody has a crystal ball, as I said last week. But there are things, indicators, trends. You pay attention to what's going on, and you don't need to just be there. Again, just to be there. You hear what I'm saying? So, so here's a perfect example. I said internationally just a second ago. So, if you have been ascribing, subscribing to the I just need to be somewhere, I need to be everywhere to some extent. All right, fine. So, I'm going to compare two different um, ETFs. Uh, I use it, I use one of them in, in my portfolios. It's uh, the Total Stock Market Index by Vanguard. The symbol is VTI. That's, you, that's the domestic, that's United States. That's a mixture of, you know, small, mid-cap, mostly mid-cap and large-cap stocks that they've put this together. Um, and so uh, I'm going to compare it to another Vanguard fund. It's called, it, it, the ticker is VXUX, and that's the World XUS. In other words, everything but us, right? It's an index that tracks the world stock markets XUS. All right. So that means if, if you had your, your 25, your 15, 20%, whatever allocation that you have pie charted to international stocks, that would be a, a tracking mechanism for that portion of your portfolio. All right. This VXUX um, ETF uh, came into existence the uh, first part of 2011. So 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Six years, right? 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Since the start, that XUS ETF has returned 14 15%. 15% over six years. Okay? Versus the VTI, which has returned 100%. You with me? Hello? 100 versus 15. So you have had a portion. Some of you who are growth-oriented and ascribe to the, that pie chart that may have allocated you 20 to 25% even maybe um, to international, you have had a large chunk of your portfolio significantly underperforming the rest of your portfolio at least the domestic U.S. portion of it, for sure. Why? Because you don't know. Because you just don't know, quote, when the international is going to overtake the domestic. No, I don't know that either. But I sure can keep an eye on it. I sure can pay attention to it. I sure can look at this and go, wow, I don't think I want to be there right now. I think I'll pass on the international and just over-allocate to my domestic. Made a huge difference, gang. Huge difference. And again, I'm not trying to predict. I'm just taking a look at what has already happened. You know, right from the get-go, that international ETF virtually never, never, not, not ever, performed better than the domestic U.S. ETF. Exchange-traded fund, by the way, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Not, 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 not over the whole time. They started out kind of together in 2011 and were tracking fairly closely, but it didn't take long 
All you have to do is watch it. Just look at it. I mean, it's not rocket science. All right. So, so again, why do I want to be somewhere that's totally underperforming? Why, why, why do I want to do that? I just don't. I, I just don't see it. Right. It just doesn't make sense. When. Not to the exact, not to sitting here. Okay, which asset classes in 2017 are going to perform best? I don't have a clue. But I will tell you something right now. Very, very small amount of my portfolios are in international stocks. Now, you can, you know, if you're smart enough, if you're, if you're savvy enough, if you've got what it takes to go around the globe and pick out certain markets that might be outperforming. Russia's gone bonkers. Okay, good for you. But you're doing, you're doing what I'm saying. That's my point. That if you're smart enough to be able to do that, you can always find certain areas that are over outperforming other areas. And, and I'm not saying that there's not some places in the world that are performing in the United States. I, I, there are. Find them if you can. Okay, good for you. The point being is that... Be there when it makes sense to be there. I have international stocks that I choose from in my Impacts 50 portfolio. They're there and will choose them when it makes sense to choose them. Not, I'm not going to choose them just because I want to be diversified internationally. I don't, I mean, I just, that makes absolutely no sense to me. So here's what you're faced with. You're faced with a very typical scenario, and I know you've been there. If, if you guys have worked for somebody and you've been in a 401k before, or even if you go out to, you know, do it yourself to Fidelity or Vanguard or any of these other brokerage houses, they're going to have you go through a, you know, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a survey, if you will. They're going to give you, uh, you know, to determine your, your a quiz, to determine your risk tolerance. And then they're going to they're gonna have a chart. And this is a beautiful chart that I'm taking uh, an, an example. But this is a real example. This is what people that work for this company got put in front of them to say, pick. Make a choice. Right? So what they do is they first break you down into conservative, moderate, or growth orientation. You're either a conservative investor, you're a moderate investor, and you're a growth investor. Now, this on the surface, this has nothing to do yet with how old you are, how long you have to retirement, uh, what, what, none of that. We're just saying, what's your propensity? Are you more of a growth individual, moderate, or conservative? Then they break the chart down further into years to retirement. All right, so, for instance, you might be a moderately uh, bent investor and have 16 plus years to invest. So you might be 35 years old and yet your propensity is to be moderate. Well, first of all, as your advisor, I would try to say to you, what the heck are you doing being moderate for? Right? But anyway, you know, that's a whole nother, you know, th there's the value of, of what a, an advisor can bring to the table. Um, so anyway, there's these different classes now. So in other words, they've put in front of each employee a choice 
of 12 different boxes. All right. I'm either a conservative and then I have time frames, four different time frames within that. I'm moderate and have four different time frames in that. What I mean by a time frame is how long into retirement? Zero to five years, six to 10, 11 to 15 or 16 plus. All right. And again, if I had 16 years plus until retirement and there's nobody counseling you and sitting you down and saying, you know, Bill, come on, man. You got to get out of the conservative box. All right. But again, when when an employer puts this in front, you're not getting any help and you're not getting advice. They're just putting this thing in front of you and they're making sure that they cover themselves and they offer you, even if you're 35 years old, you know, a box that says, Be, here's, here's your conservative allocation. Wah, ugh. Right? So anyway, you right from the beginning, a chart like this with no help and no, you know, with, with no counsel, you're on your own, man. You're having to pick one of these 12 boxes and this is me. And you don't get any perspective. You aren't giving any, you aren't getting compared to what? You don't have a paradigm to run it through. You don't have nothing, right? Gee, why should I be scared? Maybe I need to be scared of being a growth investor. Well, let's talk up through that. Let's understand what it means to be a growth-oriented investor and give a sense of comfort, all right? With that, because at the end of the day, if, if you have 20, 16 plus years or 20 years to your retirement and you're conservative and you pick the conservative box and you do a good job and you work, you know, for that employer for the tw next 20 years and your, you know, your buddy in the cubicle next to you said, well, forget it. We're the same age, but I'm, I'm a growth oriented person. I got the same amount of time. Believe me, that guy's lifestyle and his retirement is going to be vastly different than yours. Vastly different. And you guys both put in the same amount of money, work for the same company, doing the same thing. All right. So there's just the fallacy of this whole thing, in my opinion, right, to start with. All right. Now, let's take a look at what they want you to do. There's um, nine different, again, here we go again, with the same nine asset class categories. And now they want you to diversify. We just went through the allocation, right? How are you allocated? Now we're going to talk about the, the diversification and the allocation within all of that. So they want you in nine different places. To what extent? And of course they come up with this nice, neat little, you know, matrix that they have in here. And here's the, here's the categories. Stable value, which is basically cash. Right? It's a cash deal. Bonds. Large cap value, large cap growth, mid cap value, mid cap growth, small cap blend, small cap growth, and foreign equities. Now, right then and there, I look at this and I go, oh, are you serious? Because much of this is allocated 2%, 3%, 5%. Seriously? You're gonna, you think that it really matters to allocate small cap blend 5% and small cap growth 2%? What? They're giving you the impression that this is down to a science that's just much, much more precise than it really is. It's just not. 
I'm just telling you right now, it's not. All right. So here we are. I'm a growth-oriented investor, and I've got zero to five years until my retirement. They want you to allocate 50% to, to cash, 25% to bonds, and the rest, that's 75%, and the rest to any kind of growth-oriented stuff, you know, stocks. Now, I understand where some of this is coming from because it's, there's a thing called portfolio size, that, that the whole idea behind that leading up to retirement and your first few years into retirement, you have the most to lose. So if the market tanks, if the market goes south and you're exposed too much to the equity side of the equation, you stand to lose a lot compared to somebody that's just starting out or if you've been in your retirement for 10 years and you've already drawn down a, you know, a decent chunk of your, your investments and now if there is a major market adjustment, it doesn't impact you from a dollar and cent standpoint as much. I, you know, there's this theory out there. I get it. I understand it. And that's why when you set it and forget it, you absolutely have to be sensitive to that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you don't. But when you don't set it and forget it, and you do have a system for, you know, looking to stay out. Remember my two podcasts ago where we said, how about if we're, we enjoy 70% of the up, but we stay out of 70% of the down, or we enjoy 60% of the up, but stay out of 60% of the down? Remember those whole, that, that, that whole philosophy uh, and how much of a difference it makes to stay out of those big kick-you-in-the-teeth market downturns? Oh, all right. So again, yes, you do need to probably go this route if you're going to stick your head in the sand and you're just not even going to pay any attention, all right? But it, it, again, it's not this precise. And to try to say that, oh, we have these nine asset classes and being 2% here and 3% here and that kind of thing makes any significant amount of difference. You diversified yourself away. It, it, it really doesn't matter by the index. Just buy the index, for, for heaven's sakes. If you're going to allocate 75% of bond to your bonds, just, okay, fine. 75% to the bond and 50% to cash, really? For the last five years of your retirement at accumulation, you're going to put 50% of it on the sidelines and not take into account whatever the market's doing? doesn't matter? Ouch. I, don't, I mean, I shake my head at this. I'm just like, are you serious? It's crazy. Now, keep in mind, too, I, you know, I'm kind of going a little bit fast, and I'm reading data that you guys can't see. I'm going to put these, you know, I'm going to put these things out there. They're available on the Internet. It's not like they're proprietary or anything like that. Okay, if you want to go back and you want to have this in front of you and then listen to the podcast again where you can kind of see this data in a chart in front of you, I'm going to put out the, 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 the um, asset allocation model and this whole thing put together by a company called Benefit Funding Services Group. Uh, it was for Golden State Foods. Again, I, you know, I mean, this is typical. I'm not, you know, I'm again, I'm not, uh, I'm not picking on them per se. I'm just saying this is the standard way that it, you know you work for a company and the 401k at the company. This is what they do, All right? So I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to put the matrix out there that MFS did about the different asset classes. Uh, on the growth, you know, I'll put those out there. You can look at them for yourself. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm pulling, I'm not making up these charts, right? So again, I'm just, I, I, all I'm trying to tell you guys, 
gals is that all this stuff matters it makes a difference and and there is another way to look at it and I think there's a better way once you start talking 20 and 30 years of accumulation and 20 and 30 years worth of of retirement cash flow matters big time and what you do and who you listen to and how you approach this thing will make a huge difference in the quality of your life and what you get out of all of this sacrifice and diligence that you've done for years so again think about it the myth of asset allocation and diversification is just not what it seems to be it's time to think the unthinkable you know bottom line guys I'm hoping you're with me on this and maybe in the morning you can wake up as well and realize you don't have what it takes to sit back and be average either I hope you don't so I've enjoyed it it's been great um, this is it uh, tricord uh, tri- www.tricordadvisor.com if you want some more information go to the podcast site on podbean uh, tricord.podbean.com I'm on iTunes um, and I hope this will give you some perspective. Love to hear from you if you have any questions, and I appreciate you listening. Thanks until next time.